You found the Digging Oak Island podcast, a podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. If you've been listening to and enjoying our podcast, please consider helping us out by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. All right, it is time to answer your questions and comments, as I love to do each and every week. And we'll begin with our friend Steve, who writes, Hey there, hope you and the McBride family are doing well. We are, Steve, thank you. I enjoyed the latest podcast episode, and now my mind is wrapped around the Masonic top topic discussed. My focus here is not the many supposed Masonic symbols that have been found on or around the island, nor the alleged tie between the Freemasons and the Knights Templar, but the men involved in the search. A couple of thoughts. To me, it seems like a chicken or the egg thing. The show implies that there were, quote, that there were Freemasons on the island and Freemasons are modern Templars, so they know there's something there. Roosevelt, 1882 to 1945, Hedden, 1897 to 1974, and Chapel Jr., 1887 to 1981, were essentially peers born within a decade or so of each other. Could it be that there simply was some sort of press, newspaper or book at the time, that highlighted the Masonic symbolism found, and this was attracted to men that, attractive to men that already had a Masonic connection, or in Chapel's case, a family connection? It would be like me going to Italy because my Italian heritage. They didn't go there because of any handed down or institutional secret knowledge. There are fewer Masons today than in the organization's historical zenith, but today, between the U.S. and Canada, there are approximately 2.5 million Freemasons. There are approximately 365 million people between the U.S. and Canada today, and far fewer at the turn of the 20th century. By today's math, if my math is any good, around 1 in 146 of American and Canadian men are Freemasons. That ratio was probably much lower. That is, it was more common to be a Mason since both populations were lower and more men were Masons in the past. So it's also simply possible that these men were on the island and were also Freemason, but there's no connection. That is, there's no correlation between them being on the island and there being a Mason. Math is fun. <laughs> Not for me, Steve. I'm terrible at math. Anyway, continue. Hope that all makes sense. You'll recall that Charles Barkhouse is also a Freemason, or it has been so implied from a hat he has sometime, he sometimes wears. I'm also a Freemason and can tell you that neither of us know anything more about, the, about what's on Oak Island than Nolan, Blankenship, or the Laginas. But if I do find the treasure, I'll split it with you and your great listeners. Thanks and keep up the great work, Steve. Okay, first, wait a minute, Steve. You're telling me that as a Freemason, you don't have a like secret Oak Island handbook that was written in some super secret Masonic code that tells you what, what is in the money pit and where it is and how to get there? I mean, because if the writers and the many theorists, for that matter, are to be believed, then you, my friend, are holding out on us and have been for quite some time now. You better start calling the uh, whoever's in charge of the Freemason Hidden Treasure Department and start getting us some answers, man. <laughs> On a serious note, Steve, I am dubious of the Masonic connection, really. I'm dubious of what it might mean and what connection there really is. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, it would seem to me like you that because there is a Freemason that is out there, that maybe that in some way 
put the word out to other Freemasons who might be so inclined to spend their lives trying to find a treasure in a hundred foot hole. I mean, that seems to me to be the biggest connection. And I'm even more dubious of any real connection that goes from the Knights Templar to modern Freemasonry. Uh, You know, a connection that would include shared secrets and those sorts of things. It just doesn't add up to me. I can be convinced But I've tried to look into this. I've tried to see if such a connection really exists. And um, I haven't been convinced of it yet. Anyway, great stuff, Steve. Always great to hear from you. Okay, let's go to another friend of the show and a fellow Jersey boy, Peter, who writes, I'm so disappointed in the show. Weeks ago, I suggested they'd find no treasure this season for one simple reason. If you find treasure, you'd lavish all sorts of time on each and every find. Geez, look at all the attention devoted to a simple lead cross. Now imagine they found even one buried box of jewelry. Close-ups, glamour shots, gushing reactions to each and every one, scientific analysis, historical clue research. It would fill several shows. For huge treasure, they'd have to spend lots more shows, and it would already have started. Also, I keep thinking they keep looking in the wrong places. They said they were looking at the spot marked as, quote, under the hatch, but but they misread the map. And they chose to put those cans down where their boreholes found nothing but wood. Evidence of previous failures. Guesswork, money pit, chapel vault, flood system, all rumors and guesses. If anyone took treasure away, why would they say so? A big treasure hole seems so unlikely anyway. Imagine how many men it would take over how many days hauling up dirt one bucket at a time, then uncover, then covering it one shovelful at a time. Repeat all that effort to dig it up. Seems more likely you find a place to find a place to tunnel down from the side, so just have to break through a wall or covered door to have access. Every time they find some corroded iron artifact and call it a treasure clue, I wonder: Are they just trying to fool us? Or are they trying to fool themselves? Every time, uh, sorry, still hoping they bring in that promised cosmic ray scanning system. Yeah, where is that? And get some answers. But they had they had one expert share a deep underground scan showing a possible tunnel and void. And they didn't seem to follow up. Or did one of the cans drill down from above that void? At this point, I think I'd be okay with the cosmic showing hope. Nope, no voids, no treasure. Can't take another year of oh boy, oh boy, what the heck? Cut out commercial, oh boy, oh boy, another Akshu. Heck, Blind Frog Ranch, another treasure show, at least was smart enough to LIDAR underwater to map a cave system and find a strange old cave full of mysterious ore. And I think it only strung me along for eight shows instead of eight years. New show in Aztec Gold Searchers also seems like a big tease. If you find gold, you tease gold. If you don't, you tease people saying, oh boy, oh boy, can you believe it? Good podcast. Sorry you're not. Uh, sorry you might not get to discuss actual treasure. Peter from South Jersey. Peter, in all honesty, I got to tell you, uh, I've never been expecting treasure. Let me put it that way. And, and really, I haven't. I'm not, I'm not kidding about that. The idea that someone would go through the incredible effort to hide something 100 feet underground and then never retrieve it? I mean, it just doesn't compute with me. It really doesn't. You have to really come up with some elaborate reason why that would be. I mean, someone who did this would find whatever this is that they're hiding so important to risk life and limb in hiding it. But it isn't also important enough to try and retrieve later on. You just leave it in a hole to let it rot away for centuries and centuries? Nah. I've always been looking for answers, really, to what this is. To who did whatever it all is that we're seeing here and for why. And I'm not really thinking it's about gold and silver. 
Hopefully answers like that can still be found even without something being down there to look at. But without something really there to actually uncover, those answers are going to start to be harder and harder to really get. Great stuff, Peter. Your uh, complaints are noted. Let's go now to Facebook and hear from Claude, who writes, and this is kind of a meandering thing he wrote here in multiple uh, posts, so it's going to take me a second to get through it. All right, Dave, here's a little history on me. Maybe like others, I'm sure. So when I was in the fifth grade, we had book fairs. That year, I purchased a book by Ripley's Believe It or Not. It had stories of strange oddities, insane records, mysteries, and et cetera, et cetera. One of the mysteries was about Oak Island. I can remember being fascinated by it. The finding of the money pit, the layers every eight feet of logs, the clay covering each layer, the 90-foot stone, all fascinating, along with the idea of pirate treasure buried on an island somewhere. I mean, it has to be true. Every part of it. I mean, it's but even in a book. It all must be fact, never occurring to me that some of the story may have been elaborated over time, just like playing the old game where we share a story and pass it around a room until we get to the last person in the room who then shares a slightly altered and exaggerated version. I used to be certain that something was there, and I still do believe that something had to, be, had to have happened, at least something had to be found originally in order to keep us searching this long. But I now am just seeing less and less evidence that can't be passed off as something else. As far as some of the evidence the Laginas have found, the lead cross, the garnet brooch, these two things can be explained and do not need to be fit in, do not need to fit into a storyline of Templar deposits of a treasure on Oak Island. The garnet brooch, for instance, I mean, let's be real. I could find a whole bucket of these in my backyard uh, buried, and I wouldn't call it a valuable treasure. It looks cheap, nothing ornate about it, gold-layered costume jewelry at best. Found by itself, what, no woman ever lived on Oak Island? This simply couldn't be something that belonged to one of the wives, daughters, or one of the several occupants and searchers on Oak Island? At the, and the Lead Cross, could it not just be one of the many searchers with Masonic connections that have searched Oak Island, dropped there by one of them, maybe passed down from peers? And honestly, why, if it is one of uh, uh, what, why, if it is of any substantial worth, is it so crudely made? I just feel anymore, and and I really somewhat hate it, and wish something something would again spark my interest, like I had when I was eleven. That most things have be, have a better explanation than that of being where the show has gone and jumping down the rabbit hole, so to speak. Again, I am impressed with the dating of the cross, etc. I'm just beginning to believe there are other explanations for how it got there. I guess what I'm saying more that anything is why does everything have to be of some elaborate origin. And again, I told you, it's a tough one to read. A nail is a nail, not a ship. A latch is a latch. Could be to a door, not to a chest, etc. I know they're trying to make good TV, but it's getting old. Anymore, I look forward anymore, I look forward to your podcast more than the show. Uh, thanks again, Dave. Keep up the good work, Claude. Claude, it's always great to hear from you. And, and you make some terrific points there. Um, it was quite a ramble, for sure, but they're all good points. They're all well made. Um, and you're not alone. I mean, the, this kind of thing that I'm reading from you here, Claude, is kind of what I read from just about everyone over these last few weeks as we get to the end of this season and people are starting to come to the realization that we are going to go through one more season with nothing but dirt knock shoes. Um, I'm going to maintain this, though. I, I do agree. I do feel and, um, and I have not yet been convinced that the cross is a potentially huge fine. Could it have washed ashore? Sure. Could it have been dropped by somebody who lived there? Maybe. I mean, it's possible. Of course it's possible. 
But the existence of the cross, the way it's made, the aging of it is so wildly out of place on Oak Island that I, I think immediately believing in those mundane possibilities, those sort of skeptical reasons, is just a bit too dismissive for my liking. The problem is that as the years go by, without anything to further what the cross, the story is that the cross may have to tell, without more evidence sort of connecting to the cross and connecting to what it may be and why it's there, then the more likely that coincidence becomes the answer to why it was found there in the first place, right? So as we keep getting further and further down the road, keep not hearing about the lead cross, keep not finding things that connect to that time frame, that connect to what it might mean, then your ideas here of it being essentially coincidence get more and more likely. And as far as the brooch and the other things that have found over the years, my general feeling is this. What we are looking for here is an answer to what is in the money pit. And at best, a treasure inside the money pit or answer, you know, well, answers to what the money pit means, why it's there, the box strains, all that kind of stuff. The Smith's Cove. We're trying to get answers to what that is. Finding a piece of jewelry on the ground, especially on the other side of the island, in my mind, though cool and interesting, is just kind of not what we're looking for here now, is it? Could it provide clues? Maybe. But I'm not sure they've really found any clues that the brooch has provided so far. I mean, am I wrong there? In my mind, the only artifacts found on Oak Island by the Laginas that really fascinate, fascinate me are the lead cross and to a much lesser degree, the Spanish coin found in the swamp in season one. Those are the only two things that in these nine years I've looked at. I mean, there are lots of other things that show mystery, right? Like the bones in, in the money pit and things like that. There are there have been things that they found, but those two, if you're going to call pieces of treasure or artifacts of some kind that point to something being brought here or deposited here, those are really the only two things in nine years that they've found that have really fascinated me. Anyway, thank you so much, my friend. Let's go back to the emails. Uh, finish up here with Jim, who says, hello, Dave, just listened to your latest dig in Oak Island long-time listener, and have opined in the past. In the last show, you wondered about the GPR and the lack of a target at the five-foot depth on Lot 8. You asked if someone with some knowledge of GPR can chime in. Well, I'm far from an expert, but like most, we get our education, quote-unquote, from watching Oak Island as well as other treasure hunting shows. About as good a degree in GPR from record correspondence school. I think the GPR only identifies what they call anomalies underground and not necessarily metal objects. Although they did say, I'm going to stop here for a second, Jim. They did say in this episode at one point that it was metal. Not sure. Anyway, not to be confused with metal detectors or magnetometer readings. The anomaly was the stones that were stacked at the five foot level, which were different from the surrounding soil. Thus the hit on the GPR. I would assume the anomaly at twenty foot at the twenty foot level was also would also be something possibly man made versus something of a metal nature. Okay, let me stop for a second, Jim. Uh, you're right. The metal that they were talking about came from the magnetometer reading, right? That was done weeks and weeks ago. So then, what you're explaining here is that the hit on the GPR was these rocks. Makes all the sense in the world. I assume Laird will write a report that says, in his opinion, it was man-made structure, which will then require further study. That will probably result in more careful digging by the archaeologist versus Marty and his excavator. If so, the progress on Lot 8 will be slowed considerably. 
Regarding your listener question about the use of cameras in the caissons, I would offer that on another Oak Island podcast, I heard Vanessa answer the same question. She mentioned that she could not count the number of GoPro cameras that have been lost over the years. They have been, they have been sinking caissons on not only Oak Island, but all over on other jobs. So it sounds like they have tried, but it's just not been successful. And besides, we all know that with the underground water levels, it would not show us much. She joked that until they come up with a transparent caisson, all you'd see would be the steel inside of the current caisson. Not the best footage for TV. Keep them coming, Dave, Jim. Uh, Jim, thank you so much. Uh, I could be very wrong about this. I'm just going to go back a little bit in your uh, in your uh, email here. I could be very, very wrong about this, but I don't think I am. Uh, but I don't think Laird thought much, if anything, of what they dug up last week of those rocks on Lot 8. Like I said, could be wrong, but I don't think I am. From what I saw in that dig, that's the end of this project. I can't see how they can get a permit from what they found there. Now, if I'm wrong, then great. Then, then let's see. You know, what could it be? Maybe there is something there to find. But until I'm proven wrong, as far as I'm concerned, this whole project is as close to a fool's errand as I've ever seen them do. The map is not compelling enough to get me to invest anything, frankly, time or money into this project. And even though they did look there and they've already done something there and they've already been compelled to do so there, there was nothing to find. Honestly, I think it might be time to put their resources somewhere else. Thank you so, so much for the email. I do have another one to go. Uh, let's finish up instead here with Carlos, who says, Dave, I've been watching Oak Island since day one. I, too, read the article that initiated the Lagina's interest in the treasure of Oak Island. I've also listened to all your podcasts and look forward to each new episode. Thank you for that. For the longest time, I was a believer in the legend. After nine seasons, the majority of items found on the island have been more likely related to items that were dropped than placed. The majority of items found underground seem to be prior searcher related. As much as I want to believe that they will find a treasure as the season progresses, it just seems less likely. I will say I do believe that there is previously undocumented history on the island. On the Freemasons, is the connection to such high-level Freemasons because high-level Masons were in position to be able to fund excavations like the likes of which have been conducted on the island? Uh, let me stop here. Yes. Let me go back to Steve, right, uh, who said he's a Freemason and, and for some reason doesn't have his secret code book. And he's supposed to also be super rich. So I, don't, I still don't know why he isn't out there funding one of these things with his secret code book from the Freemason Hidden Treasury Department. But uh, I'm just kidding. Anyway. Back to the email. I really feel like we are at, at a point where the uh, continued excavation must yield results, more likely historical data, or will likely prove no treasure exists. Although the narrator keeps hinting at something to be found, if the next episode does not yield some pre-searcher artifacts, I do not think they will ever find anything. I personally do not believe the flood tunnels exist. It is more likely an aquifer, as there has been water found in a vast majority of the holes that have been dug. I can only base this on what they broadcast on the show. I feel like many of the old pre-searcher boards are simply reused boards, wood from elsewhere. Even today, this practice still exists. Old barns are carefully torn down in order to reuse the wood. I similarly feel that many of the old tools found were brought to the island not on the manufacture date, but just simply tools that were passed down. Just as today, a son may inherit their dad or granddad's tools. Whether or not anything is found, I will continue to listen to the podcast I enjoy listening to other viewer emails, uh, your recap of each episode. Keep up the good work, Carlos. 
Carlos, thank you so much for that very well-written email. No doubt we had a theme with the emails tonight for sure. And that is a theme that is permeating throughout the the Curse of Oak Island fandom. Time might be running out here, it feels like, on the patience of the viewers and fans of the show. If that's the case, all I can say is this. There is a reason this is the longest running treasure hunt ever recorded. (laughs) Can't say for sure what that reason is, but that doesn't change the fact that nine years, which is the course of this show, is nothing. It's a drop of bucket in the giant ocean that is the history of this mystery. It really is. Unfortunately, I think if we truly want answers, if that's something we're interested in, We're going to need to to show a lot more patience, folks, than this. And we need to keep in mind that generations of people interested in Oak Island have come and gone with no answers. And you and I might be another generation of Oak Island fans or Oak Island interested people who leave, who shed this mortal coil before any answers to what this really all means are ever uncovered. That's all for this week's emails. If you have any comments or questions that you would like to be have discussed here in a future podcast, just email them to me, diggingoakisland at gmail.com. Okay, it's time now to discuss Season 9, Episode 22 of The Curse of Oak Island called Yes, We Can. Okay, let me just quickly say something here um, about Lot 8. It wasn't a big part of the episode, but at least worth mentioning again briefly here. Lot 8 has been talked about a lot recently, and the team is back now to metal detect in that area where we discussed previously they had done GPR scans and that kind of thing. Uh, Steve on the Patreon wrote, actually, quote, the date on the Lot 8 scan was 10-18-21, so they are doing that quite late in the search year. Good catch, my friend. I didn't see that. It really is getting late in the season here, or at least this project is done. So for those of you concerned about timelines not being correct, it does seem some of those timelines are pretty correct. Um, Gary is doing the metal detecting along with Michael John. Gary finds what he calls an old oval chain link. Let me just say something. I don't agree with Gary when he says that that means the chain had to be used for hauling something. It doesn't mean that, and it certainly does not mean that someone had to be hauling a treasure box. And then he, uh, Gary later on pulls out another ox shoe. It's tough to admit, but this has been the season of the ox shoe for sure. Hopefully this is the last such ox shoe of this season because it has been a real point of contention with fans. And I got to tell you, I'm kind of sick of hearing about them. On the Patreon, Elizabeth said, quote, ox shoe again with multiple explanations afterwards. And and I agree with you. I'm kidding. I'm not sick of hearing from you guys about this, but I'm sick of seeing these pulled up and talked about as some sort of, you know, evidence. Ginger then asks, quote, did I imagine it or was Michael John rolling his eyes with Gary's diatribe? Uh, Well, Ginger, if Michael wasn't rolling his eyes, then I was, and I think many others watching also were. I also had to laugh when Dan wrote, quote, after all this time, I finally Googled a picture of an ox shoe. Now I get what I'm looking at. (laughs) Not that impressive, huh, Dan? Um, I kind of giggled to myself here when the narration called it, quote, a potentially important clue. I'm not going to pile on too much here. I think I already have, but Oak Island was farmland for decades and decades. Decades. We know that without question. This latest ox shoe 
And any other ox shoe found so far, in my opinion, is not evidence of a presence of the Knights Templar or the British military or anything else but farming. That's all I'm going to say, and hopefully that is the last we have to talk about ox shoes for the foreseeable future, or at least until next fall. Now, before we take a break, let me mention that um, we had a great crackpot session, war room crackpot session with my friend Corian Maul. Now, if you're listening, Corian, sorry for calling you a crackpot, but uh, I got to tell you, on this podcast, crackpot really is truly a term of endearment, my friend. And uh, it feels like you're bringing the uh, the crack pottery this week. If, uh, if if not this week, the next week for sure. It's very exciting stuff. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it this week because, like I said, it looks like we're going to spend a lot of time on it in the coming week or weeks. Um, Corian is on a video call to Oak Island to talk about a possible Portuguese connection to Oak Island via the Knights Templar. It's at this time that the narration seems to try and make it sound as if the team has already found a lot of evidence that the Portuguese were here on Oak Island. I suppose this was maybe in sort of an attempt to make it feel, feel like uh, this everything we're about to hear here is more important. But uh, let me just say this, folks. The team has not found evidence of a Portuguese presence on Oak Island. Not at all. They found things that have some dates to them that might match up with the Portuguese Age of Discovery and there maybe even be the slightest of chances that the stone road in the swamp looks vaguely something like something the Portuguese built in the past, but certainly not something only the Portuguese built in the past. And that is the sum total of the evidence that they have here. I just wanted to mention that because the narration does have a tendency to do that kind of thing. Having said all that, I think what we're going to hear about here, uh, what we're about to hear about is going to lead to something really fascinating for us regardless. So let's get into it. Uh, Corian gives us a little background on the Templars and their relationship to, the port to Portugal and what it all might mean for Oak Island. And then that leads Doug Kroll to tell us, well, he kind of really more hints to us because they're really sort of saving this for next week, I think. He, uh, Doug Kroll kind of hints at us at what the theory is that we're going to be talking about here and what the team's going to be working on as a result of what we're listening to here in the coming episodes. So here's the nickel version for you as I interpret it, right, of the theory that we're working on. And I'll give you a little more explanation, and I'll contextualize it for you. On Friday, the 13th of October, 1307, you've all heard this before, after years of declining influence and sort of increasing persecution of the Knights Templar, King Philip IV, I think, of France ordered the arrest of the Grand Templar Master Jacques de Molay and other, other members of the Knights Templar order that were living in France. A few weeks later, Pope Clement V uh, kind of followed suit there and ordered all of the monarchs loyal to the Catholic Church in Europe to round up any Templars in their respective kingdoms and, more importantly, seize their assets you see, the you see, the Templars were not only a powerful military order in their day, but they were also the biggest financial institution in all of Europe. I mean, Jacques de Molay held a, you know, it was the uh, Jeff Bezos of his time, really. Uh, it was an institution to whom many kings owed lots of money, especially the aforementioned King Philip of France. The monarchs all obeyed the Pope's degree. Uh, except for one, the a man named King Dennis uh, I of Portugal. He was a guy who owned uh, owed his 
virtually his entire country to the Templars who had recently helped the Portuguese fund, fight, and win a war. The Portuguese king was not about to help his fellow European rulers get themselves out of debt by forcing him to imprison and kill the very people who fought and died for his country. Now, it is during this time, this time period of uh, post-1307 uh, and uh, the, the, the coming years, where Cory Maul believes that many of the Templars, and I'm speaking for you, Cory, and I'm sorry, but he believes many of the Templars who escaped persecution took refuge in Portugal, we know that for sure, and probably brought with them the treasure that they had uh, of holy relics that they had compiled and took from Jerusalem during the Templars' time in the Crusades. And this isn't just Corian's theory, mind you. It has been around for decades. It is a very popular theory. And as it goes, the rest of the story goes, these Templars then traveled from Portugal with their stuff to Scotland and from Scotland to the New World, presumably to Oak Island, to hide this treasure from the Pope and from his cranky royal allies who were going around basically seizing everything of any value that the Templars had, really for no other reason than to help get themselves out of debt. Now, a few years after the Templar Order was officially disbanded, King Dennis formed the remaining Templars into a new group called the Order of Christ. And this order lasted for centuries, and they played a huge role in the Portuguese Age of Exploration. And, and Corian tells you this, right? Sailing their flag around the world. It appears here from what we're about to see, again, I'm speaking for Corian here, that both Doug and Corian believe it is possible that these guys also sailed to Nova Scotia to look for this treasure that they knew their past Templar brothers had hid years before. So this is the Order of Christ during the Age of Exploration are going to Oak Island to retrieve what they had known the Templars had left there when the Templars were being rounded up and persecuted. That's, I think, <laughs> what we're going to be talking about here. Corian believes the team should come to Portugal to check out the Templar archives and also Templar sites that are still there today. And honestly, I can't be more excited about this. And I don't know why Corian didn't invite me. I mean, I would have been the perfect guy. Wouldn't you want a, a, a podcaster there to do some more in-depth uh, discussion about this? Anyway, be that as it may, I was stuck here in, uh, in, in the new world. Um, and this is a fascinating idea. I love this idea. I've poo-pooed the Templar stuff before, but this kind of history that surrounds Oak Island is what I love. And Corian Mall is the absolute perfect guy to lead this project. Get this man, get Corian Mall to talk to you for more than five minutes about what he knows about the Knights Templar in European history, and you will agree, this is the guy we want doing this with the Laginas. Now, whether this amounts to anything Oak Island related or not, I got to tell you this, I can't wait. I hope this is more than one episode because I simply love this stuff. Okay, it's time now to deflate our proverbial balloon a bit by talking about the work done in, uh, uh, during this episode over at the Money Pit. It's been a very disappointing year over there, and this episode was no exception. The episode begins with Gary Drayton metal detecting the spoils of the caisson labeled DMT2, which they started last week or the week before, I think, right? Um, at the beginning of the episode, they're down with this caisson to around 135 feet. 
the depth where Gary pulls out a piece of scrap metal. And they're hoping to get down past the 145-foot level where the chapel vault is, hopefully waiting for them. Not long after finding this little piece of scrap metal, which they didn't clean or follow up on, so I really can't say much about it, the hammer grab starts to have problems. I was about to put odds on the Patreon discussion on who would be the first to say, that's Oak Island for you. If you had Gary Drayton, folks, you won. Uh, Later on in the episode, the hammer grab is fixed, thankfully, and work continues. Let me also mention a little side note here before we continue on about the caisson and the heavy equipment stuff done over the money pit. Over at the wash plant, uh, we see a scene here where Steve Guptill and Michael John find a small piece of what might be concrete. There's no follow-up on that either, so let's put that to the side until we hear more about it, right? Uh, So let's go back to DMT2 here. At around the depth of 146 feet, Dr. Ian Spooner finds what he calls puddled clay. Now, that's quite the buzzword for the money pit, as it was supposedly found by early searchers in more than one location, for sure, presumably as a sealant to keep water from getting to the treasure. But specifically here, it was reported as maybe part of the top of the chapel vault as well. In the next hammer grab, they find some wood, including one that really interesting looking large plank, which I think was had a lot of this blue clay on it. Could this be the top of the vault that they're hitting here finally? Perhaps the first clue to the answer to that question is in Marty's reaction when he says, quote, I'm tired of wood. That was really all he had to say about this. So maybe he kind of knew when he said that what was coming next. At 153 feet down, which is lower than records indicate the chapel vault should be found, the can then drops through what they call a void, right? Uh, That just drops quickly down into the ground. Um, And then the next hammer grab at this deeper location brings up a whole lot of nothing, what Marty calls just soup. Marty then concludes, much to everyone's dismay, including mine, quote, it looks like the vault's not there. It's just not. Soon DMT2 ends with the narrator calling it a quote-unquote crushing disappointment. The latest crushing disappointment at the money pit, the fourth, for those of you keeping score at home. So after the decision to end DMT2 was made and people were really kind of deflated, you could see Rick doing his very best to try and stay positive and hopeful for more work to come and more possibilities. And this was a tough scene to watch. You know, we were deflated here in, you know, sitting at the TV screen. I can only imagine what these guys felt when they found absolutely nothing here. Later, the team meets in the war room to discuss what to do next. Now, I was expecting this to be a discussion about next year, about what may happen in the future. But instead, they throw us this great curveball, which I guess is the reason why we get the name of the show, Yes, We Can. Because Rick then declares that the folks at Rock Equipment, the Vanessa Lacido people, they believe that there is indeed time in the season to put down a fifth can. And that is exactly what they're going to do. They decide to place the next can that they're going to do back in the C1 area of the money pit, which is where the initial first two were, I think. And as the episode ends, we see this new caisson, which was labeled B4C, going down into the ground. So perhaps when it comes to the money pit, all is not lost this year. Perhaps. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Digging Oak Island. Don't forget, I'm DJing uh, every Wednesday afternoon, 2 to 5 p.m., WDVR-FM. You'll find me hosting a show 
called the Bourbon Street Bistro from 2 to 4 p.m., playing the music of New Orleans. Uh, and then from 4 to 5 p.m., a show called Island Vibes. You can listen by uh, going to WDVRFM.org or telling Alexa to turn on WDVR. Or if you're in New Jersey or Pennsylvania, you can listen at 89.7 FM or 90.5 FM. Also, I produce another podcast called Sit Downs and Sessions. Me and my friend and radio host Chris Poe sit down over a drink or two, talk about music, pubs, politics, paranormal, basically anything two old friends talk about at a bar. And where uh, he is my oldest friend in the world for sure. Give it a listen. You can find Sit Downs and Sessions on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the usual places. And don't forget, you can really help out the show by becoming a patron. If you think the show is worth $5 a month to you, then head over to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. And, and also, uh, there's other ways to help the podcast out. If you uh, don't want to become a patron, um, you can send a one-time donation via Venmo to at Dave McBride Music, if that's something you want to do. Or if money isn't the way you want to help, please take some time to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your shows. Thanks to everybody who's done that already. Don't forget, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. Just go to your search bar, put in at Diggin' Oak Island. And uh, if you have any questions or comments that you want to send directly to me, you can do so via email at uh, diggin'oakisland at gmail.com. Just keep in mind, if you do send me an email or if you direct message me on social media, I may just answer it here on the podcast. So if you don't want your message read, please just make a note of that. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Diggin' Oak Island.